This is Joe Candilis with the Western Bear Foundation, and you're listening to the Urban to Country Podcast. Welcome to the Urban to Country Podcast, where we talk to outdoor enthusiasts about life, hunting, and how to make everyday epic. guys and gals welcome back to the urban to country podcast we are kicking off episode number two here that (laughs) feels pretty incredible to say i am so pumped that this project is taking off the way it has and that's all due to you guys so thank you so much for your support and for engaging with me on this project that i'm doing Uh, this conversation on episode number two is with joe candilas of the western bear foundation Joe is what I would consider a true conservationist. He is the president of Western Bear and does it all as a volunteer. He has not paid a a dime for his work with Western Bear Foundation. Uh, You'll see that he has a wealth of knowledge on all things bear. And if you have any interest in bears, whether that's hunting or just a curiosity about the species, this is a great podcast to tune into. I want to give a shout out to Pansky for uh, sponsoring the theme music for this podcast. You'll be able to connect with Pansky in the show notes. I will link up his various social platforms and uh, go give him some love. Listen to his music. It's really good stuff. Finally, there have been some technical uh, difficulties with iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, but we are getting those sorted out and we'll have the podcast up on all those platforms so that you can listen to them on the go and wherever wherever you want and not just through the Buzzsprout platform, which is a great platform and I highly recommend it, but it is uh, not the same as those other ones. So we're going to take care of that and get you guys squared away so you can listen to this wherever you go. Really appreciate you tuning in. And now, without further ado, episode two of the Urban the Country podcast. All right, friends, welcome back to the Urban to Country podcast. I am here at the, Joe, where are we at again? The quarry. The quarry. Yep. Cool. Quarry. Microbrewery. Uh, come in here kind of last minute because we had <laughs> a little bit of a logistical problem. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. So it's super, super nice of them to let us come here. And um, I am here today with Joe Con- Condilis. Condilis, you got okay, it. Okay, got First it. Try. Perfect. <laughs> and Joe's a super cool guy. I met him through my nine to five job with the Montana Wildlife Federation. And Joe's the president of the Western Bear Foundation. Correct. And glad you could make it. This oh, I'm glad we could work it out. It worked out good. You're in Helena. I was coming back. I'm, I'm born and raised here, coming back home. So just a short drive for you, and I was here mm-hmm. anyway. So this worked out perfect. Yeah. No, and. I've wanted to meet you for a while, um, ever since finding out about your organization, but yeah. why don't you go ahead and tell us about who you are and a little background on yeah, yourself. As, as uh, Marcus said, my name is uh, Joe Candilis. I'm the president of the Western Bear Foundation, which uh, is a nonprofit, 501c3. Um, we are dedicated to the protection and development of bears, bear hunting, and bear habitat in the uh, western United States. 
Um, long story short, started this group with a friend of mine a little over 10 years ago. We kind of had this idea, this just burning inside of us that we needed to do something for bears and bear hunters. There's really not a group out in the West um, dedicated to solely uh, looking at issues with bears and, and protecting the rights of bear hunters. And we just really felt that that needed to be addressed. There wasn't anyone in that space. And so being guys that know nothing about nonprofits and conservation <laughs> dove into it head first and um, <laughs> been a struggle. But uh, I think we're, we've reached a point now where we're in a really good spot. And, and, and as you guys, a lot of you people might know, we've changed our logo and changed our name. We used to be Yellowstone Country Bear Hunters Association, which kind of pigeonholed us into a, a small space uh, of – you know, when people thought of us, they thought of us only being around Yellowstone, which we weren't. But um, now with the Western Bear Foundation name, we're, we're able to kind of expand and grow and and do things in a broader area, which we're really hoping to the next five to ten years really brings us out into some new areas. So it's it's been good. Um, like I said, I'm not a conservation guy. I've grown to know more about biology and conservation in the last ten years than I thought I ever would. And I, I kind of now knowing how much I love it, wish I would have done that um, when I was in college. It's funny that we had that conversation about you earlier about yeah. what your career was going out of college. Yeah. I was the, kind of the opposite. I stayed and now realize it'd be kind of cool to do something different, you know, more with biology and, and, and wildlife. So, um, yeah, I graduated from Montana Tech here, here in Butte. So uh, I was born and raised in Butte and Cut my teeth hunting and fishing in the Big Hole River, uh, Big Hole Valley, and and all around Southwest Montana. So if this is home for me. I love being back. It's, it's, uh, it's always nice to come home. Yeah, no, for sure. And Butte's a cool place. I think we were it was oh. earlier. We were saying I was saying that Butte's like that relative you have at a reunion, right? Where yeah. everybody's like, "That's weird, Uncle Al. Don't like, don't let yeah. the kids get near him." But when you actually <laughs> go sit down and talk to him, you're like, "Dang, this guy's cool. Why weren't we friends?" Long yes, time ago. Yes. And, and that's the thing about Butte. Like everyone that if you're from here, you you love it or you I, I, I know a ton of people that grew up here that'll never come back. They're Most missing of the out. people yeah, that it's they just didn't like it. And and there's a lot of people that they it's in your blood. Like you you go to you born and raised here and you'll never leave even if you do leave. You you always <laughs> come back and I was joking with you earlier, you know, Butte is the most hated town by anyone that lives in Montana that's not from Butte. Um, a lot of character in this town, tough town, um, old mining community, yeah. uh, a lot of hard work, hard work and people, um, a lot of passion in this town. And so it, it is, it is funny when a lot of the people from Montana don't like Butte, but when you bring people from out of state here, they fall in love with the town. It's, it's got so much character. Um, it's got its own beauty. Uh, the area around it is a sportsman's paradise. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. I don't think they do enough selling the community for that. Um, because Bozeman is so big, you know, for that. Butte is as good as any place in Montana for for sportsmen. You got access to Blue Ribbon trout streams. I mean, 20 minutes you could be on the Big Hole. Yeah. You could be on the Madison, the Jeff, anything. You got general elk and deer tags right out your back door. Um, bear hunting's fantastic. I mean, you got everything you need here. So it's, yeah. it's, it's really a, a sportsman's paradise, which is probably what I miss the most about not living here is the – being able to go back and hunt and fish and recreate in the places that I grew up doing it. And, and that's what I miss the most probably. Yeah. So when, I guess, when did you start bear hunting? Like what lit that fire? I tell you, when I graduated high school, I didn't ever dreamt I'd be 
sitting here having this conversation with you, I, sure. avid hunter and sportsman, but I never thought I would develop a passion to do something like this. But I'll never forget the first couple times we went bear hunting, and you mentioned kind of, and, and I, I saved it for the for the podcast. Oh, but perfect. Your, your first conversation about bear hunting with your buddy, not much different than my first hunting <laughs> trip, bear hunting. You know, you park at a trailhead, get out of the truck with your gun, and you start hiking ridges like you do for deer and elk, and trying to find bears you know yep. not having a clue what we were doing you know me and my the same friend uh joe who i, I mentioned to you earlier yep. um just decided that we wanted to start hunting bears because we like being outdoors and the spring is the best I, I love the spring outdoors so we would go up the big hole and try and find bears and have no clue what we were doing and never found any the first couple of years and just were lost but for me it kind of made it more of a desire to figure it out because we were doing so poorly I was like, this, we've got to figure this out. We've got to figure this out. And I think that kind of started my, my passion. And then happened to meet a few people along the way, which really kind of were like, you guys are doing this all wrong. You know, you got to do this or do that and do this. And so we kind of kept grinding it out. And I never shot my first bear until after five years of hunting them. Really? Um, yeah. Five years of hunting them. I, I shot uh, a few that I, I shot two that we were never able to recover, not understanding the, 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 um, uh, kind of the makeup of a bear's vitals and where they sit in their bodies different than other animals. And so I spent five years grinding it out every, every day in the spring I could go hunting, um, and never, never got one and finally got one. And it's, it's probably my favorite, one of my most favorite hunting memories, that first bear I got. And, and where I did it was meant the most to me and with who I was with. Um, hunting is about experience, and I think that was one of the best experiences. And uh, honestly, after that day, I got something in me changed where I was like, I like deer hunting and elk hunting, but I would rather bear hunt every if, – if they had to ask me to give it all up for one, I'd pick bears. And I, it's just something switched in me that made me appreciate that species so much more, how hard they were to hunt and – I moved shortly thereafter down to Wyoming, and, and I'll, I'll never forget just sitting. I was standing in the shower one day, and I just, I've had this uncomfortable feeling like I needed to do something. Like, we have to do something. Like, I want to do something bigger than what I'm doing now, just working and doing everything. And, and I think it's what that passion, that, it was that little burning ember inside me to, to start Yellowstone Country Bear Hunters, which became Western Bear Foundation, and try and bring other bear hunters and non-bear hunters into a community um, because there really isn't one. Um, it's hard to cut your teeth in bear hunting. Uh, I, I learned it firsthand. Not a lot of advice, not a lot of help out there for someone trying to do it. And I thought, what a great way to try and bring more people into the sport, create more advocates for the sport is to recruit more, you know, and that was one of the, one of the reasons we got going. So very cool. Yeah. A lot, a lot of horror stories of just the most, horrible hunting experiences and some of the best hunting experiences in them five years of not getting one and having my best friend there with me every time and and mind you he had already he was first up because he's oldest so he'd got one like two years before i got mine so gotcha. he spent three years or two years after his like every day trying to get me he's just like you're cursed man and i mean <laughs> we would see him and we'd figure it out and we started figuring it out and we were finding bears and just we couldn't make it happen and so yeah. um a lot of ups and downs and, and stuff I would never trade in for a million years. Some of those worst days are some of the best memories I have of like, wow, that wasn't bad. 
Yeah. We had a blast, you know. And it's funny how that sweat equity, mm-hmm. it really is a real thing. How you can put in five years, hard work, learning about bears, and all of a sudden you just start to have it successes. Yeah. It clicks. And it, it became a lot easier. I wouldn't say easy. It's not easy. It became a little easier to find them. And I started understanding bears more than, than just going out and hunting them. It, it, bears are really important. You, you know, we take for granted. We go deer and elk hunting and we just go yeah. hunting. and. There's a good chance you can stumble upon them, but no one really understands bears. You know, people go bear hunting, they don't understand what bears even do during the day and, and what their biology is and, and what their, huh, you know, scientific makeup is that makes them go to the den. And people just don't understand bears. And that was a big game changer for me, too, is learning about my, what I was hunting. Yeah. And I fell in love with them even more when I started reading about them. I'm like, who would not want to go to sleep for six months? <laughs> wake up and be so focused on reproducing and eating and that is it and then go back to bed i was like these it's a great life got it made man. yeah I, i'm telling you what their goal is to get as fat as they can it's every college kid's dream i, I agree it's like <laughs> and so uh and just learning their habits bears are so much like people it's not even funny and that's why i love bears they're individuals so ungulates deer and elk are, are a herd species and they travel in herds and they don't think so much on their own as they do when they're in a herd right you know, bulls and bucks, when they're on their own, you know, they're definitely, they're on their own wavelength. They're thinking on their own. But bears are that way all the time. They're an individual, solitary species that never is with a bunch of others. And when they are, they interact very uniquely. And, and it's really fun to hunt something that is so, has mannerism and characteristics like people. Everyone's different. They're not, one's not the same. Like, you'll see behaviors of one bear, and you'll see one that lives in the same drainage as him be totally different. Yeah. And it's so fun to be hunting something that is so different than, than a, like a deer and an elk. Yeah. Um, why do you think that there's so much misunderstanding about bears? I mean, what you're just saying resonates with me because I don't really understand bears. I have mm-hmm. this kind of general wildlife appreciation for them, but I don't like what, you, what you're saying that people don't understand them. Why is that? Well, I think it falls. I think it goes a long ways back to some ways they used to manage bears. Okay. You know, um, it wasn't that long ago that in Montana and Wyoming and, and Idaho, bears were, you got a bear license with your elk tag. Really? You you just would get it. You could go shoot a bear. I mean, it was. That's wild. It's, it's pretty crazy. So they've always been treated because we hold our ungulates so high, in, in which we should. Uh, I'm not bashing ungulates, deer and elk. I love them. And I hunt them. They feed my family. We put them on such a high pedestal, and, and part of that is because of some of the great organizations that have become before us, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and it's done a lot of great things for elk. We look at bears as the thing that is most detrimental to elk and deer populations, just like we do wolves sure. and lions. They're kind of demonized. They are demonized. Yeah. And so people don't really treat them like an and, uh, you know, like a formidable hunting uh, opportunity, they treat them as like a predator that if they get the chance, they're going to shoot one. But they really don't care. And they've never really taken the time to go pursue them. Like, I'm going to start April 15th when it opens and go try and find a bear and learn about them and be out in the mountains and see what they're all about. Not a lot of people do that. They just buy that tag and they go out and they say, well, if I get one, I get one. And so they've been demonizing. And it happens today, too. I see a lot of people that get bears and, and you know, with social media and all the stuff that goes on with that you see oh a, a large percentage of them the first thing they post when they get their bear is saved a deer and an elk today or saved yeah. elk calves today or and and for me being a bear guy i'm like you just devalued that harvest yeah. you made that harvest less than what it is to me 
Yeah. Because you made it look like you only shot that thing because you wanted to save an elk calf. Granted, bears kill elk calves, and bears kill fawns, and they do. But so do lions, and so do coyotes, and so do everything else. But to me, you took a remarkable species out of the population. You hunted it, and you did that. So put it where it belongs right. in, in your in your mind, not... And so that even leads to this devaluing and, and demonizing of bears is like they're not a formidable thing. They're out there killing all our ungulates, and so let's just kill them. And if you get one, great. Um, I'm going to save the hide, and people don't realize that the meat's actually really good. And so it's there's a whole bunch of it that's gone into it. And I think part of our challenge is changing that mindset. You know, once you get people out doing it, you really can create passionate sportsmen. I don't know how many guys I've taken bear hunting that are like diehard bear hunters now. You know, that That's first cool. encounter or that first time they've got one or just not getting one and getting so, like, hyper-focused on succeeding because they hate failing. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> makes you a good bear hunter. Like, because you will go out a lot of times and never see one, not even see sign. And you got to have drive, man. You you got to be willing to go out and, and just fail. And there's not a lot of people that can do that. Yeah. You know, it, it's tough. Yeah, definitely. I, I was thinking about that idea of just being willing to fail. And that's such a great, I don't know if it's a byproduct, but it, it's something that comes out of being a hunter mm-hmm. is you, you get okay with failing. And I think that people who are okay with failing are more resilient. Yep. They definitely, um, they seem to be pretty well adjusted. Like if you're okay with falling short on things, you're more willing to try things. Yep. And And that's one thing that I've loved about getting into hunting is that I'm more willing to try things that I wasn't willing to before. Yeah. And, and bear hunting is one of those things where like I was scared to death the first time I went yeah. out. Cause I'm like, so like that there's a bear around every corner and I'm going to get eaten. Yeah and, yeah. and do you think that that's like kind of this misperception also with bears that like, like there's just tons of bears out there. And if you go out bear hunting it's a super dangerous thing or is that, is that Oh, I ma- think there's a part of that. And, and I think it's, um, how do I want to say this? I think it's grown into our culture that mm. predators are deadly and, 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 you know, black bears are one of the most docile animals. In fact, like there's, there's, they're deadly and they can kill you. And so can lightning and so can a car wreck and you can fall off a cliff while, while, while out elk hunting. You right. know, there's a lot of things that can happen. I think it does scare people a little bit and they think there's bears everywhere. Um, but I think it falls more on that comfort zone, that comfort level. You know, I've been a good deer and elk hunter, and I don't know about bears, and yeah. I don't want to not be good at it. I don't. Everyone's got to be the best anymore. <laughs> you know, everyone wants to be the best, and they well, want to. We don't look good on Instagram. That's if exactly you fail. like yeah. how can I post on Facebook that I didn't get one? And yep. That's not acceptable. I gotta please a sponsor or something. You know, right. so I think that's a big part of it. And and I think the next biggest thing is we're not doing a good job as bear hunters recruiting the next generation of bear hunters. Cool. And, and that's important because we need to have advocates for our sport out there. I, I've, I've said this for a long time. It's trapping first and then predator hunting because in society today, I don't know, the media and, and, and television, everything has made bears and lions and, and wolves into be cute, cuddly creatures. And we should hug them and we have stuffed animals of them. But, right. you know, they're, they're they're not all that. And so people don't really appreciate it. And that's what they're going after is trapping and predator hunting and, and bears are one of them. If we don't stay strong, I mean, there, there's a, we, we're seeing it in a lot of States already, you know, they're trying to shut down baiting in States. They're trying to shut down age old traditions of hound hunting for bears in States. And, you know, in Colorado, you can't even spring bear hunt. Really? You cannot spring bear hunt in Colorado. They have more 
They changed that quite a few years ago. They got a ton of elk in that state, and the bears are thriving now. Yeah. And they don't have a spring hunt. And what we're seeing now is record management actions by the department because of all the trouble bears they have. And that's a byproduct of not hunting. Yeah. You know, they're just like anything else. They need regulation. Yeah. Well, and the Western model of conservation has shown that animals that are hunted mm-hmm. thrive. They do. They do. And there's, you can't, you can't argue that. And not only do they thrive, but you have less, um, you have less negative interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was talking to my wife about this. If, if there was no hunting season on white-tailed deer, we had a white-tail this summer, totally totaled her SUV. Yeah. They'd be a pest. They, people would hate them. They would, they would hate them. They cause crop damage. They cause. They do. It was, it was something like almost half a million dollars in damages reported from white-tailed deer mm-hmm. um, in 2015. Is I and, think we, what, and we hunt them. And we hunt them. To a, yeah. a pretty high level. I did hear something really neat, and this was years ago. I wish I could remember who told me this. Um, it was one of it was in one of these. I, I've done a lot of work on my own to try and educate myself on on the issues and and be a. You know, if people are coming to us for bear stuff, I want to make sure I have the answers. So I go to a lot of trainings and do whatever I can. And and it was in one of these trainings that someone said, public perception, is the biggest hindrance of. I guess, a a successful recovery. And this was a grizzly bear issue. Right. So the public perception is one of the biggest hurdles for people, game and fish managers. Because public perception, just like you said for the whitetail, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people that hate whitetail. Right. There's more people that hate bears. Oh, sure. And the grizzly bear is a prime example of this. So we got all these people that hate grizzly bears. They're protected. You can't hunt them. So everyone hates them. And they're all like, kill them all, do whatever. That's not the right approach. You know, we want a sustainable population. Yeah. Well, how do we change that? And one of the biggest ways to change it is create advocates for the species. And the advocates for the species now are anti-hunters. Well, how do we create sportsman advocates? Yeah. You let them hunt them. So the second you let them hunt grizzly bears, you're going to create advocates for the species. And they're going to protect that species. And they're going to make that species thrive because they love hunting them. Yep. Same thing with the deer and elk. I mean, we didn't have elk like we do now. Uh, 20 years ago even no. and we have advocates for that species now and they're going to ensure that there's always elk on the landscape and yeah. that's the same thing with bears black bears and grizzlies more because you just can't hunt them and the second you can start hunting them wyoming's really close we're going to create advocates you're going to have guys that have never bear hunted that are going to be like i'm the biggest there'll be guys more into it than i am on grizzly hunting yeah and you know what they're going to make sure that there's grizzlies to hunt forever yeah and it's huge well and i think too it, it Part of this public perception is, and I, I've talked to some people, and they have this idea that it's the hunters who are setting the 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 agenda and the quotas and, and all of this. And what I think a lot of people don't understand is, no, this is biologists yes. who are specialists Correct. in the species who are setting the the quotas, and they're not going to let they're not going to let hunters take more than is is sustainable. No, and so I think I think that educating the public more on that is That's huge just kind of that process for how how do we come up with these numbers it's not just some arbitrary number that's huge it's a great point that you landed on there because there is a huge misconception on how these numbers are set up yeah and like you said th- there are biologists and there are game managers in every department that that's their job to do to look at it 
And while a lot of people don't agree with some of their quotas and some of their season setting things, they, and we're not all going to agree on everything. And that's just the nature of the beast, but they're in there because they know what they're doing. They're not politicians. It's not politicians setting this. And in most cases they have to bring forth their idea to a fishing game commission, which then has to agree on it. And the get fishing game commission is working for the people. And so it's not the hunter going – it's not me going into the fishing game office and Cody going – or the game and fish. They hate when you say fishing game in Wyoming, <laughs> and by the way. Uh, the game and fish office in Wyoming and saying, hey, uh, I want to make that quota bigger in the bighorns for bears. They're not going to just listen to me and go, yeah, Joe, whatever you want, buddy, you got it. Yeah. You want it 10, 12, 14, what do you need? It, that yeah. doesn't work that way. No. And it leads into a big process, a big point of we as sportsmen have to start being more involved because we do have a say to an extent in how these seasons and regulations are set. And we are too much of a, uh, I wouldn't say species, but we're too much of a group that likes to wait until it's done and then react. We're not out there going and sitting down with the people that make those decisions and saying, hey, can I have a cup of coffee with you? I saw this this year. And I know I'm just one person, but can maybe you look at it? And, and that's how we need to start affecting change and being involved. But it's like you said, there's people out. I get this a lot, and the people out east that read magazines and newspapers, and, and the U.K. is terrible. The oh, U.K., yeah. they, they love to chime in on the, how we manage our wildlife in the United States. Do they even have wildlife over there? Look at what they've got. Yeah. You know, it's all privatized hunting, I mean, if there yeah. is any. But they're all saying, you know, you can't kill your grizzly bears and da-da-da. This, and this. They have no knowledge of how it is out here. No. And you might these people on the eastern seaboard, on the western seaboard, that don't understand how games managed in the west – are quick to point out the mistakes that we're making out here. Meanwhile, they don't have no knowledge of how it's done. And it's educating those people as well. You know, yeah. But it's hard to get those people to sit down and listen because oh, yeah. they're very fire and brimstone. That They don't want to sit and listen. You know, and it's it's tough. Yeah, and I think there's there are things that happen that get blown up unfortunately on social media because we live in a Mm -hmm. a social media world where everybody has to post everything there's things that happen like that uh that bear spearing thing that happened a few years ago oh with the under armor deal yeah now everybody thinks that that hunters are running around killing bears left and right stabbing them with spears and it it creates if if you live like me, like I grew up in Pennsylvania, didn't hunt, whatnot. If I were to see that back then, I would think, oh, my gosh, what is going on? Like, yep. is anybody controlling these? Just because I wouldn't have any point of reference, I wouldn't have any knowledge yep. on it. Yep. And and I think the more that we can educate people and have these constructive conversations, then maybe we won't have people that are passionate advocates, but we won't have people that are, are passionate opponents. That's a very true statement because – we do see that a lot, and and to your point, we as sportsmen need to start babysitting ourselves a little bit better when yep. it comes to social media. I mean, uh, you see stuff on there, and, and I'm starting to see more of a responsibility by people that are in the upper echelon of, um, I guess, popularity when it comes to sportsmen. I'm starting to see more of them push back on some of that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. a, a post by a, by a hunter that really just shows – the negative side, the one and I'd say the 0.5% of it that happens out there in the woods gets posted on Facebook. And I'm starting to see more people, you know, um, come out and say, hey, this is this is not the way we want to portray our sport. Right. We need more of that by the general public. Like, hey, 
you know, this is not helping what we're trying to do. You know, we're, we're demon, we're making everything look bad on our end. We need to make it look good all the time. It's not fair. It's what we're up against. Yeah. You know, life's not fair. Um, we can't all be peaches and cream out there. It's, we're always going to be pushed back as hunters and, and that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. And I think your point is, is so timely right now that, yeah, I have the right to post whatever I want in social media, Yep. but exercising a little restraint and a little mm-hmm. a little yeah restraint is important because otherwise we'll lose is is posting that photo on social media or that that negative comment or whatever it might be is that worth losing what we have these opportunities that we have it's it's not it's not yeah and, and people don't understand what they're doing when they do that sort of thing i don't think they understand the ramifications that it can have you know, that Under Armour thing, I, I just saw one the other day on spearing uh, on Facebook, and this guy jumped out of a tree to try and spear a bear and totally missed. And I was just <laughs> like, you, you know, and I, I'm not against spear. I'm for any legal way to take a black bear. Yeah. So it's legal in some states, and if you want to try it, great. I'm, I'm for you. I probably wouldn't, but I don't care if you do. But <laughs> there are certain things that's kind of tough when it, it, there's that fine line. It's like – you know, houndsmen are always up against it, too. And, and I always go back to them because people think hunting with hounds is the most, you know, people that don't hunt think that's the most barbaric thing you can do. Houndsmen are probably some of the best conservationists you'd ever meet. They know more about their prey than the game of fish biology people do. Yeah. They know more about what makes their prey tick. They, they harvest very few of their prey. They only harvest the select mature males for the most part. And they get bashed on for being unethical and they're you know they're running dogs and it's not fair that dogs i'm like these guys are probably some of the best conservationists you'd meet out in the field a lot of them yeah you know and so it's this it's perception well and two i mean we 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 know that you know ethical hunting is a valid management tool and in some areas my understanding is that if you're not if you're not baiting bears or or running them with hounds it's very hard to effectively harvest very true. The bears the way you need to. Very true. Common misconception. People think that, and that's why Montana doesn't have either one of those methods of take right, right now. Yeah. Because Montana lends itself really nicely to spot and stock hunting, and they use hunting as a tool because that's what hunting is. It's a way of life for me, but it's a tool for managers. Right. It's a tool for them. So I get a, I get a, um, take part in their way to manage game, and it becomes a way of life for me. It's a culture. But for them, they simply look at it as like, how do we manage the population? And they do so by hunting. And so they feel that in Montana they don't need to do that, which is fine. Wyoming, they allow baiting in non-grizzly use areas or outside the recovery area. And so um, you can bait bears in those states, and it's very helpful. And Idaho is the same way with hounds and bait, and you can hunt all three there. And it works for them. And there's some places in Idaho you can shoot two bears a year. They've got so many bears. And it's not depleting their resource any. No. I, I caution to think that they probably could have three barrier places in Idaho. There's a lot of bears. That's a lot of bears. <laughs> There's a lot of bears, and it's a lot of timbered forest land in the panhandle, and it's hard to hunt. Yeah. It's steep. You don't see them through the glass. You, you have to bait them, or you got to chase them with hounds, or you're not going to see one. They still got to manage them, so they got to they got to take bears out of the population. And so it, it's a great way, and, and the, the cool thing about baiting and and running hounds for bears is selectivity because when we're spot and stock hunting if you're lucky you get an opportunity to size that bear up but there's a good chance you're going to be two to three hundred yards away do you really know if it's a male or a female 
you know, if there's cubs, I mean, newborn cubs in the spring are barely the size of a, they're a little bit bigger than a football. Yeah. I mean, they could be laying under a sagebrush. You would never see them. And so when you're hound hunting or bait hunting, you have that opportunity to see this animal close up, close range. And you also get to have a, a, a more uh, intimate interaction with them, whether you, you, whether you harvest or not. You're sitting there with them at 20 yards. You're hearing them breathe. You're, you're, you, you become like a student of bears. And that's when I really started baiting is when I really fell in love with bears. I would sit in my tree stand and watch them. I, wouldn't, I went years without even shooting one. I would sit there and watch them. And, and just be mesmerized by their their what they do every day. And, and houndsmen are the same way. You know, they'll run a bear in a tree, and if it isn't one they want, it's not big enough, they let it go. Yeah. And so that it's a really effective way. And in a lot of these areas where there's baiting, there's actually the, the species has grown into be some really quality boars that they're taking out of them because they're managing for that. You know, take big boars. They have some areas have female mortality quotas. So if the, too many females are killed, the season's over. And so people are forced to take boars, and they're taking mid-range boars, and, and it creates more room for new boars to come in. And so it's, it's a really effective tool, um, baiting and, and hound, hound hunting is for bears. Talk about the, the importance of taking boars. Now, I, I've done a little research, but maybe for people that aren't as familiar, talk about the, why that's important. There's going to be more boars on the landscape than sows with, uh, and sows with cubs. And so they're the predominant um, sex when you're out on the landscape. for It's... It's it's a little different than deer and elk. Like, y- you can't harvest a bunch of sows because the boars won't have anything to reproduce with. And then in the fall, the sows are usually pregnant. A lot of them will be. So we really try and push for boars because boars too, bears are really competitive in territory as well. So where two bulls will live together all winter and then hang out in the summer and then only fight for September and part of October and then they'll be buddies again. Bears don't do that. If there's a big boar running an area, he doesn't like other bears to be in his area unless it's a sow. And that's only if it's during breeding season. They don't like, they are very territorial. And so when you harvest boars out of a population, it creates room for more cubs of the year to grow up, come out of the den, and leave their mom and have a place to thrive. And so it kind of just always has that um, growth in the population coming through, you know, like ungulates, there's so many females, you know, the bull to cow ratio is always talked about with bulls right, with yeah. elk. And it's a little different with predators. Um, you need that. And, and mountain goats are the same way you need them. It's important to harvest billies. There's just not as many. And so it's important to have as many sows out there as you can for reproductive reasons. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about, Talk to me a little bit about Western Bear. Now, you guys just rebranded, which I yep. think is as soon as I heard you guys were doing that, I was like, yes, like that that's awesome. Uh, talk a little bit about the organization and, and your rebranding and let yeah, people know who was, you are. It was interesting because we, we actually had to rebrand. It's a, it's a long story, but we had to rebrand because our logo was a little bit too much like another organization's logo out there. And I was really mad at first because I was <laughs> like, you know what? This is our baby, and I'm not changing. And when – when it came to the time to really get down to it, we don't have the resources to, to fight for something like that in court. And, and a good friend of mine called me, who we work with a lot here, Jason Matzinger. He's kind of our spokesman. Jason's awesome. Great guy. Yeah. Great advocate. He's a he's a great spokesman for, for hunters. Yeah. He, really good job. And He's very thoughtful in everything he puts out. It's, sure he, is. You can tell he's, he's really thought through everything he does. He's not yeah. a grip and grin guy. He's nope. showing the story behind what we do, and that's what's the most important right now. Yep. 
And he called me and he was like, dude, I think it's a good time to do that. And in the back of my mind, I've been wanting to change the name for a long time. It's, it was just too much. Yellowstone Country Bear Hunters Association is a, a mouthful. Yeah. And people have getting it wrong. And like I said, it pigeonholed us. And so he was like, what do you think about this? And I was like, I, I think it's a good idea, but I'm prideful, you know. And he's like, let's just think about it. And so it came time to where I was like, you know, let's just do it. And I talked to the other organization, and we're great. You know, I'm a life member of the organization that, that wanted us to change the logo, and it's for the best because we've been able to do things now that we wouldn't have been able to do before. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was hard at first, and, and we changed it. We, it was hard to come up with a name, I, I tell you, because – there's a association foundation. I mean, you name it. And it's like, gosh, how do you come up with something unique? And yeah, we had some pretty crazy stuff out there, man. We were just joking around one day and we were like, <laughs> I couldn't even repeat some of them. It, it, it was pretty good. We, we just wanted to kind of have the, the idea of we're Western people. So out East, they have some really strong bear hunting organizations. And, and really? even in the Midwest, Wisconsin and Michigan have huge bear hunting organizations thousands of members they're strong dude it's crazy pennsylvania virginia they all have their own wow and we don't have any out here and so we're like well there's no state one organizations so we just thought let's do something for the west because we want to really embody the west and we kind of toiled and i would say more than toiled whatever the toiled times 10 (laughs) on getting rid of hunters i was against getting rid of hunters out of our title and this is, this is stuff that's not been talked about other than in the back rooms of Western Bear Foundation. But we really toiled with getting rid of hunters because we, we kind of um, we label ourselves as a hunting organiza- a hook and bullet organization, right. and we support hunting and uh, whether it's bears or anything else. But it it also made it to where it looked like we were not a group that was really passionate about bears on the landscape and and what's happening with bears without hunting and which we weren't we were we're still very passionate about that with hunting in our label but it was like it didn't really say much about it it made us look like too much like we were a hunting group and not a conservation group as well so rather than make it too long-winded we just came up with western bear foundation which leaves it kind of wide open and i would say to this day we do we're still as pro hunting and we haven't changed our platforms from day one and we've been really adamant about our integrity as a group and doing the things that we set out to do and, and sticking with that other than we did change our name. So, yeah. So when you, when you talk to somebody who's never heard about you guys and they ask you, what do you guys do? What's your answer? Like what's the it, elevator jokingly, pitch? <laughs> I said, we're the Rocky mountain elk foundation for bears. Nice. Okay. <laughs> because it, people are like, what is Western bear foundation? I'm like, well, you know, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, like I said, dedicated to protecting and developing bears and bear hunting in the Western United States. And they're like, okay, I got it. Or if you're talking to that person, then they really don't know much about it anyways. You, I always just say, well, we're kind of like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation for bears. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. I got it. So it, it, it's hard to try and um, create a, a, a fan of your group in a quick turnaround time, but just to get it across the board, like just to get the point across right away quick, I usually tell them that. Um, we're doing so much more than just that, than our mission statement is, you know. But, um, yeah, that's kind of my elevator pitch, you know. And, and I've had a lot of people like, why should I join your organization? I said, well, why, why are you a member of the Rocky Mountain Oak Foundation? Well, I like hunting elk, and, and, and they're making sure there's elk out there. I'm like, do you bear hunt? Yeah. Well, do you not like hunting bears and you don't want to make sure they're out there? 
well, I do, but I just don't think we need to worry about it, you know, and, and there's a lot of people that are taking for granted where we're at. And I said, well, you kind of do need to worry about it. And we've been more protective rather than developing lately. So we're protecting the rights of sportsmen for bear hunters more than increasing opportunity right now because we're kind of under attack in a lot of places. In Idaho specifically, there's been a, large, a hard push to get rid of some of the bait units down there. And this was about two years ago. And, I mean, we fought tooth and nail with commissioners and game managers to make those bait sites stay available for those sportsmen because they've been doing it for so many years. And um, so protection, development of opportunities comes through um, – understanding bears more and populations more you know montana and idaho and wyoming have guesstimates on population they don't even know really how many black bears we have but i can tell you if a grizzly bear takes a crap inside the greater yellowstone ecosystem (laughs) they know about it yeah that's frustrating to me that's how we create opportunities we understand bears more we understand their population more and then we look at it and say well, gosh, we're not harvesting enough out of this unit. Now that we know how many bears are here, let's let's increase opportunity through longer seasons, different take methods, maybe two bear units. And so that's how we're increasing opportunity now. I think down the road there's opportunities for us to look at, hey, maybe there's a chance in uh, Wyoming where we can have a chase season for hounds or we can have a chase season in Montana. Those are down the road. Right now there's so much to be done as far as just protecting protecting what we have and trying to develop it through sound science you know what's our populations and that was one of our big platforms too is understanding grizzly bear pop or black bear populations in montana idaho and wyoming better and that takes money um yeah. those bear collars are about two grand a piece so um idaho, wyoming right now is doing a small study been beating them to death over it for years, trying to get an understanding because Wyoming's one of the only states where there's a there is two female mortality quotas in Montana, and I'm not sure on Idaho. I don't want to misspeak, but Wyoming runs female mortality quotas, so the the seasons are only as long as there's females left in the quota, and they do that as a safety mechanism because they don't have an an idea of 100 percent on what populations are, so they used harvest data. And they extrapolate it out, and this is where you really got to go to school because they put it on graphs and they figure out, well, our boar to sow ratio is this. Population, if we're harvesting this many boars versus this many sows, we should have this many bears. But we don't, we're not counting them because you can't count bears by flying. It's so hard to count bears. How yeah, do you do it? Yeah. So DNA traps, you know, and stuff like that. And so that's what we're really pushing for is like, how do we figure out how many bears are out there? And so Wyoming is, back to my story, Wyoming's doing a study now. They're, they pick the snowy range and a couple of the ranges where they're actually collaring more bears, and they're trying to figure out movement patterns. They're doing uh, hair traps for DNA. And so they're trying to build this in a little bit to where one day it can maybe expand to more ranges and bigger. But we work a lot with the Wyoming Game and Fish down there and um, trying to help them out with that. And that, that came to fruition. You know, those collars are too grand. And I said, I want to make sure we – I've asked them. In your grizzly study traps, every black bear you catch, can you put a collar on it? Because how black bears are interacting with grizzly bears is very important to us, too. And I said, yeah, but, you know, those collars are two grand. And I says, we barely have two grand. You know, we can't be funding all these collars. And so it's always a lot of work, and it's um, it costs a lot of money to get these studies done. You know, it's unless you find someone that can take it on, you know, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. So... Well, and that kind of goes into something else I wanted to talk to you about is, and we touched on this earlier, but creating those new advocates, because that's where, I mean, 
if you if you have you know people that care about this they'll they'll fork over the money to do more things like that i mean rocky mountain elk is a good example of that i mean they they tapped into those advocates and now those advocates fund a lot of projects for them so they sure do yeah it's incredible so how do you what do you think we need to do to get more advocates on the landscape for bears that's our biggest weakness probably and and it falls on an organization that was kind of started by guys that don't know how to fundraise, you know, <laughs> that's a my least favorite thing to do is fundraise. I hate asking for handouts. Um, and I struggle in that. And, and it's a reality. I've actually been looking a lot at how we can change that. And, and it's hard to create an advocate. I tell you where we got most of our advocates are, are the everyday guys like you and I that are out there that are, the reason we exist today is our life members and our members because they're passionate about it, but we don't have that many. And it's finding someone out there that really wants to like, hey, I, I love what you're doing and I want to spend some money and I want to put it towards bears and, and what can we do? And, and that's been a challenge because when you look at where the money's coming from, it's all going into like four big pies right now. And we are not in one of those we are not wild sheep and we are not elk and it is really tough to get anyone to spend any money on bears and it's i i i I don't know the answer to that i wish i did and i've i've talked to people until i'm blue in the face about like what can we do and that you know you basically got to go out and beat on doors and and talk to a lot of people but we're an all-volunteer organization no one's paid at western bear foundation Every single person that's involved in this organization does it on their own time. And so that's where it gets hard. You know, we have nine to five jobs that we, we work at. And um, and that includes you. You work a, a regular nine to five yeah, job. Yeah, 40, 50 hours a week. And this has become uh, a job anymore. It's not, I love it because I love bears and I love what we're doing. But I find myself now, instead of doing it one day a week, I am the second I'm done with work between maybe going and working out or or unless it's hunting season, I'm at home on my home office and doing stuff on the computer or making calls or doing. So it's taken up a ton of my time and it's it's taken up so much now that we need someone to probably do what I do full time. And there's another issue is how do you fund that? Right. Yeah. And we always said we wouldn't pay anyone, but I look at it like, are we going to just grind it out kind of half-ass like we are or are we going to try and do this for real and we're going to have to probably hire someone and have someone go out and do it and kick butt for us so that's kind of where we're at right now it's just challenging yeah and i think that's the like that's the next evolution in every conservation group is okay are we gonna you know we're gonna make this are we gonna blow this up is this gonna be the next big thing and yeah, money. It's always it always comes down to money. It is. Now, if I could find someone, and if you're out there listening, anyone that's retired or doesn't work and has a lot of money that would like to be involved with us, we could put you to work 40 hours a week doing stuff for Western Bear Foundation. So, nice. yeah, that, that's in an ideal world. But Yeah. Uh, well, and I think, you know, as far as um, – growing an organization and whatnot sometimes it just takes time like there's there's some things there's some groups out there that just they just take off um but i think for the most part the ones and the ones that are solid they they develop over over time and yeah i i think that with your rebranding and you know um i mean shoot the reason i got into bear hunting was because i wanted to keep hunting in the spring yeah like you know more opportunity for people to get out there hunting i think i think more people will start uh, start getting involved in, uh, I, 
I really think you guys are headed somewhere great. And yeah. I had to laugh earlier when you're like, I'm not a conservation, like, or a conservationist. I, I was just thinking, if Joe's not a conservationist, I don't know who <laughs> is because to work a full time job and then be the president of this organization and doing what you guys are yeah. doing, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. I'm pretty lucky though, being. I guess being the quote unquote president is I get to do a lot of cool stuff though. Like, you know, get to go with the game and fish guys in Wyoming and trap grizzly bears. And I get to be on the side of things. That's like the reason I did this boots on the ground stuff, changing fences and doing projects and handing out bear spray and, you know, helping pay for collars and doing whatever. I get to do a lot of that really cool stuff that makes the paperwork and all that crap that no one likes to do bearable <laughs> because I'm like, Oh, like this Wednesday we're replacing the whole, fence around the cody landfill because it's in the grizzly recovery area and they want to replace it with electric fence so we're helping do that so i get to go do stuff like that and 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 i get to be involved with and and so do all our members get to be involved with how we're doing this grizzly bear regulations in wyoming and how we're doing black bear regulations and, and that is so cool so i am a conservationist i guess i would say that i'm i'm uh I'm a business graduate that loves to be, wants to be a conservationist, I guess. But yeah, I guess you could put conservationist in, in different terms. You don't have to be a graduate of a biology degree or something like that to be a conservationist. I think if you're passionate about something and you're actually doing something, you know, there's a lot of people that are passionate, but they don't, they don't do anything about it. Yeah. And I, I think we need to change that. You got to get out there and do something. Man, you hit it the nail on the head because that's one of the things that I've realized in the last year uh, going to season setting meetings mm-hmm. and, and going to commission meetings and whatnot is people don't realize how much power they have to affect true. a positive change for wildlife and wild places. It's true. If people If people care about something, they just need to reach out to somebody like you or me and say, hey, what can I do? And I think you and I both I could give them plenty of would be the voice for them or yeah. help them. And yeah. I don't know how many bear meetings I've been to in all three states or, you know, just around and, and, you know, season settings and this and that. And three people show up and four people show up. And I'm just like, geez. And then you hear the complaints and moaning. And I want to tell those guys, like, you don't have a spot for it, man, because you weren't there. Yeah. You weren't there. And and if you want to be act, if you want to be proactive then get your butt off it doesn't take much to go to a 20-hour meeting or to write a letter to your commissioner or to have a cup of coffee with the biologist and just talk to them and and that's what they want because and and a prime example wyoming and and i talk a lot about wyoming because that's where i live now so i'm i'm really active in that state but um has had a a a terribly low turnout for black bear season setting anything Uh, we do it every three years there so once the regs are, are approved by the commission, those regs are for three years. So every three years it comes around, and that's the only chance you get. And we'd have season setting meetings, and you'd have two people show up and three people, maybe an outfitter. And I'm sitting there, I'm just like, and I'm emailing and calling. I'm like, guys, we need you. There's a meeting in Lander. There's a meeting in Casper. There's this. you got to be there. And I'll ask the Game of Fish guys, and they're like, oh, we had two people show up. And so – they've really came to us and they're like, we need, we need your help because we, and that's why we have such a great relationship with them. Cause there's give and take on both sides. They need us and we need them and we help them a lot and they help us more than we probably help them um, because they give us an opportunity to do things we want to do. Um, we help them in trying to create a voice to get people involved so they can have feedback. They want feedback. Oh, yeah. Like how do we, do, what do we, what do you bear hunters want? Because all we're looking at is data. And I don't know what you want. And so this year, which will be kind of a landmark, and I'm really proud of it, is we're going to have a Wyoming bear working group 
that has got a guaranteed seat at the table uh, for Grizzly or for Black Bear uh, regulation. So we, we have a group of guys that's going to sit down with the with the department um, a couple times a year and talk about what we want to do. And, and they've had this in the past with elk working groups and deer working groups. So they, they're wanting to see more from, from sportsmen, and, and they really do. And I think that's a common misconception. People are like, oh, these sportsmen or the game fish, fishing game, whatever, they don't want to do anything for us. But yeah. they do. I they mean, do. They do. They want to hear from us. Yep. Every biologist that I've ever talked to, they're like, we wish we got more constructive feedback from the public. Yep. And and constructive feedback isn't uh, like things like, you know, we need to be able to hunt more elk. That's not constructive. That doesn't help. But actually doing your research and, and going to them and saying, I just talked to a biologist about this the other day. I said, hey, there are elk that are just, you know, just hanging out on this pivot down on this ranch all year long. Like they don't ever leave even during the fall. Like they just hang out there. And she's like, really? I didn't know that it was very helpful Mm -hmm. because she, she can't be everywhere at once. The biologists need, they need people like you and me to go and, and attend these meetings and help them out. Like they, They they're over, they're over, uh, they've got way too much on their plate and they're underpaid. Yep. And, and if, if we care about the great outdoors and we care about wildlife, that's only going to last if we get involved. And well, it's our wildlife. Yeah, it, it's ours. It's yeah. not the state's. It's it's the public's wildlife. And so, if you don't take pride in that and want to do something about that, then yeah. shame on you. I mean, you should be out there every day you can trying to make sure that hey, I got a daughter that I want to hunt. You know, and, and I do a lot of what I do for kids now because I want them to have the same opportunities we did. And if you sit back on your laurels, the next thing you know, it only takes one time to get something closed, and then it's it's just like that. Or you don't know unless you ask. You can go to one of those meetings and talk to someone, and you might be surprised how much they really take heed on what you say. And and I've seen that firsthand where it's like you open the regulations or the draft regulations after a few meetings of commenting, and you're like, hey, there it is. Yeah. They got it in there. It's kind of cool. It, it's really cool, and that can happen. Yeah. People don't realize it does. Yeah, and just recently in Montana, there was a group of sportsmen that actually helped um, change a really bad policy that was going to go into the elk management plan, and a bunch of passionate outdoorsmen and hunters and just regular average day, everyday people showed up and and spoke up and said, hey, this this isn't a good plan, and here's why, and it it happened it, it made it into the book so that's it's it's uh, remarkable what yeah. can happen and it's important too because like you said they're understaffed underpaid and at the end of the day we're the ones on the landscape yep so we might know more than they do they're biologists and granted they got good ideas and they got great counts and that's what they're paid to do but you're the one out there more often than not that see things that they might not and so yeah. it's important to to have a voice and even if you go online and comment it, it, they all get read you might not think they do but they all do that's why it takes so long sometimes yeah i gotta <laughs> read all these online comments you know yeah we're gonna take a quick pause and then we'll pick this back up all right we're back rookie podcast mistake <laughs> i, no, I could have sworn it. i had enough space on there anyway <laughs> So I wanted to ask you, as someone who's a new bear hunter, what yeah. advice would you give? And, and this kind of goes back to the recruitment thing mm-hmm. we we're talking about. If if you were to sit down with someone who's never hunted bears before and they say, hey, Joe, I want to mm-hmm. get into this, what advice do you give them? 
I've, I've, I've said this quite a few times. This is one of the, oh, I've talked to people about this. This is the biggest advice I can give any new bear hunter, and, and it's not where to look or how to look or do whatever. It's patience and dedication. Patience. Um, you you got to be able, especially if you're spot and stock hunting, you got to be able to put time in behind the binoculars, and you got to be able to put time in out in the field. And, and a lot of times you're going to be unsuccessful, and that's where patience comes in. And be okay with failing and just be out there learning. And then the dedication comes to not giving up two to three days into the season you haven't seen a bear. You know, be out there as many times as you can and know that one day it's going to happen for you, but it might take a year. It might take five like me. Yeah. You know, um, but every time you're out there, you're becoming a better bear hunter and you're learning. Um, when it comes to, like, where to look and stuff, and, and I've done a lot of talks about this, it's I, I kind of have I have my favorite things to do, and, and it's – might not be the fate for everyone, so this don't take like this is the not the gospel. This is just the way I like to spot stock bear hunt is in the springtime year early on when the snow's really just starting to melt off. These big boars come out first, and they typically den on a north or, or north facing or like an east facing slope. And so where I really like to concentrate looking early on is either on the edges of those um, snow lines on those those faces so north and east on the edges of the snow line but more so i focus on the bottom of the drainage um so those big long drainages that come off of a big mountain range are like funnels for bears and what bears do when they come out of their den is they 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 hang out up there for a little bit because you know after six months it takes them a few to get to get going yeah and they got to blow their plug and get their digestion system back but when it's time to eat they are coming off that in a hurry and they're going to find the first green grass they find. So you got to be in a place where that first green grass is. Now, in the springtime, early, the first green grass is usually in a creek bottom or in a bottom, an open bottom valley somewhere. Makes sense. And so those bears will funnel out of these big drainages down into these nice green bottoms, and they'll hit those bottoms for a while early on. Then as the spring wears on and our slopes on the south side start greening up and they can follow snow line back up on the north side where there's good green grass, they start migrating kind of into some of those areas because there's just not enough and they can move around more and then we get into the rut. And, and so there's a progression there of where I look. Uh, you know, I always start early looking in those drainages, looking for green grass um, because bears need one thing in the spring and that's food and water. You know, they won't be as concerned about cover in the spring as you might think because I've seen them out in the middle of a giant park because there's green grass there. Um, But finding green grass, good green grass, clover, anything like that, and and early on. And then as my season goes on, I start looking on slopes or – they're really funny where I find most of them in the binoculars is not in a giant park in the middle. I've seen them. I see them a lot in the shadows. So, like, on the edges. Okay. You know, they, they're they're kind of like to come out a little bit and hit that shadow and then work their way back in. And they'll finger, they'll feed in and out of that timber just on the edge or in really tiny parks huh. where they have that 10 feet away is the densest cover you've ever seen in your life. But they'll be right in that thing. So, they're, like, playing the light almost. I think it's a big part of um, – and see, just find a black bear in a shadow is remarkably yeah. difficult at a thousand yards through binoculars, you know. Yeah. So they do do that, and I always thought I don't know if they they 
knowingly do that or if it's just because they don't like that sun hitting them. And then I've seen them laying out in the sun too, so I don't know. But mm. I do find them in not like <laughs> – it's almost really funny to me because there's places that I can look, and I'm like, that is the veriest bugger I've ever seen in my life. And if I sat here for three days, I'd probably see a bear in there. And I'll stare at a park that looks just so great, and I'll end up seeing one down tucked over – to the right or something on this little tiny sliver that comes off of the creek, a little tiny green meadow, and they'll be in that. You know, not in that just barriest thing. So it's just a matter of kind of understanding what they like and then putting yourself in those places. Not You're, you're not pounding timber for these things. You might get lucky, but it's different than elk hunting. Find a good vantage and, and find some good country and glass it until your eyes hurt and then go do it again. And, and get really proficient at spotting. And then the first task is finding them. And then it's getting on them after you find them because they have the best noses of anything we hunt. Um, they, they have the best nose. They smell seven times greater than a bloodhound. Dang. So you have to have <laughs> wind be is your best friend when you're hunting bears. They don't see like deer and elk, and they don't hear like deer and elk, but they can smell. They can smell something two miles away. They got really? special organs in their That's noses crazy. called the Jacobson organ. So what it does is when the particles of scent come in their nose, this Jacobson organ is a receptor, and it receives all those particles. We don't have that. Elk and deer don't have that. And it's connected right to their brain. And so it just pops in there, and they can smell two miles away. And that's why bait hunting is effective, and that's why bears are good at what they do, finding carcasses. So knowing that, you better not even try one if you don't got good wind. And so patience comes in. I don't have good wind. Maybe tomorrow he'll be back out. And they will hang in an area in the early spring where there's food and they got water. And they'll stick around until they start rutting. And those once they start rutting, those big boars will travel. They'll travel. And you'll see them one day. And you might go back there four days in a row and not see them. And then on the fifth day, you might see them come right back through that same spot. And they're just making big loops looking for sows. So they can sniff. Mm-hmm. So you got to be really cognitive of that. So is that... Is that um, consistent across bear species, or is that yeah. different? For, it's not different for grizzlies and nope. black bear? they no. all have it. They all have the most powerful noses. I wow. Mean, it is, it's incredible when you're hunting them. And I, I've done a lot of bait hunting since I moved to Wyoming, and, and there's, that old, there's a lot of people that said, don't think you're tricking them if they come into the bait. They know you're there. They're just more comfortable with you. Yeah. And that's not the case when you're spotting stock hunting. Because you don't have an opportunity to be comfortable with them. You can't sit out there with them in the park until they get used to you. So the second they smell you spot and stock hunting, it's over. I mean, they are gone. And you got to play the wind big time. you really got to watch the wind. And so you set yourself up. You know, you set yourself up to succeed. And, and knowing that, if you find one in a spot, you, you just got to play the wind. And sometimes it doesn't work out. And, I mean, even when the wind's right, you could get on them right on top of them. That wind shifts and gonzo. It's crazy. Did you see that video that was going around a while ago about the the hunter? He was either in Alaska or British Columbia who he was using a traditional bow and the bear comes like right in and kind of like I did. bonks the, the bow. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So was that the one where he was in the blind? He was in the blind. It was a ground yeah. blind that yeah, he made. Yeah, so that's my buddy Clay Newcomb. He's okay. uh, uh, he's uh, editor of Bear Hunting Magazine. He was in Canada, cool. and uh, he's he hunts long traditional bow. He lives in Arkansas, but he does a lot of bear hunting. And uh, he was up there hunting, and 
I haven't talked to him about it. I watched the video a few times, and I've talked to him since, but I've just never asked him about that experience to say, like, dude, was the win perfect? Because they're so curious at times, too. Like, they, they can't see real great. They see. Like, don't think you can just, you know, walk yeah. up to one. But he was against some good cover where he probably couldn't make out what it was. Might have smelt something, but that's in a bait scenario, too, where there might have been a lot of human scent around that barrel anyways. So he kind of got used to that. Yeah. And then he's at that ground blind, and that bear's just like, there's something going on here. And then he stuck it. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, a, it was an amazing shot. And if you guys haven't seen the video, is so it's Clay Newcomb? Yeah, Clay Newcomb. So it'll be on Bear Hunting Magazine's YouTube channel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that the so the guy is in, Clay's in a, a ground blind, and he's got like maybe a three-foot-tall barrier in front of him. It's not tall at all. And this black bear just comes right over, sticks his head in, to the the blind and i don't remember if he it touched his arrow did it, it was his arrow that's right yeah, yeah touched his arrow touched his arrow <laughs> and then clay had it in him to he had enough composure and you know with the longbow you're not you're not drawn no you know it's got to be quick and so that bear kind of like didn't really spook too bad it only ran a couple feet i want to i'm trying to remember i think it ran out to like 15 yards yeah and then he and then he shot shot it and and he was able to take a second shot at 40 50 yeah. 60 something like that yeah and he's killed it, a few with that longbow well and both shots were right on the money it yeah. wasn't like he like he had to he, he took a, a second shot because it was the ethical thing to do and and yep. put the the bear down faster but man such a such a crazy story so yeah. when i think of hunting over bait that's what i think of yeah, is that video. I've, I've had them i've had experiences like that where it i was up in alberta uh bear hunting uh was actually doing some stuff for clay for bear hunting magazine and i was up there hunting and uh we were got dropped off and i actually went up to help the outfitter i gotta help him bait so it was really cool i brought my own four-wheeler my own stuff helped him bait bait sites and then i got a i hunted the ones i wanted to hunt and, and by law he has to drop you off and pick you up that's gotcha. about the only thing that they did the last night i was in there he dropped me off and i was trying to hunt this really big bear they had on camera and i'd never seen him and that last night I said, drop me off. It was actually the day. Drop me off first thing in the morning, and I'm staying until dark. Well, we were in northern Alberta, and it was, um, oh, gosh, it was getting dark at like 1130 at night maybe. So we we went all the way up there. A guy got in the stand, sat all day long. I mean, just you talk about patience. I didn't think I had it, but sat all day in a wooden bench uh, tree stand and about six o'clock the bear started coming in i could hear him from behind me this is what i love about bait hunting is just being so close and i can hear him breathing behind me i can hear him breathing behind oh. me and i'm trying to stay just perfectly calm and anyone that's hunted over baits probably had this experience but i can hear him and i'm just sitting there and i look down below me and it's walking underneath me so i'm like oh sweet well it's just a sow she goes to the bait pretty soon and the wind was good the wind was kind of at my back and they kept coming usually they'll come into the you know the wind but i don't know what was going on they kept coming in from behind me that time and uh probably three came in from behind me and every time they'd come kind of like funnel right underneath the stand you know and so i had a cool experience and they all went and there were three or four at the bait at one time and i was just i'm just like taking pictures through my peep you know like of the pins on them and that's so cool filming and just loving it i mean that's that's, awesome. that's what i love I, I was like if i if i don't kill a bear i don't care i'm i'm enjoying this i can hear him breaking the bones in the bait you know and i'm just like this is so cool that's awesome and uh the one bear looked over at me and was like huh i didn't notice that there before so she comes walking over i'm like this is not good 
So I'm sitting there. Are you rifle or bow hunting? I'm bow hunting. You're bow hunting. And I've oh, always, right. I've always kind of yeah. wanted this to happen, but I didn't know how it act because I've seen it on videos, and I'm like, what would I do, you know? Yeah. So she goes behind, and the, the tree stand's on four. It's a, it's a platform stand, and there's four lodge poles, and then the platform on top of it. So I'm sitting on the back corner of the one, and she comes around behind me again. So I'm trying not to move, and I'm like, what yeah. is she doing, man? And I'm watching these other ones, and I, all of a sudden I just hear this scratch, you know, like on the tree. And then it was just like instantly, it was just woof, woof, woof. And I, I sat up, and I looked back, and I'm media away from her eye to eye, and she's just looking at me. And I had the video going and stuff, but I didn't get it on her, and I just, I can't remember what I said. I was like, hey, mama, or something. And she just looked at me, you know, and I was just like, I wasn't going to shoot her, but unless I was, like, going to die. Yeah. But, um. She she backed down, then kind of stood at the bottom of the tree for a minute, and then just walked back over to the bait. And I was just like, that was probably one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. Like that's being awesome. that close, I loved it. And you know, just having that experience. So yeah, d- it definitely happens. And I think it's more of an issue in places where it's so remote. Mm-hmm. Like we're in way northern Alberta. I mean, North End Alberta, so far up there. And and Clay was in. There's some areas in Canada where these bears don't see people a lot. And so I think they tend to get curious. And, yeah. And I think that happens a lot in places like Canada and stuff where I've never had that. I've never had a bear come into my tree in Wyoming. You know, it's just yeah. never happened. They, I think they kind of always know what people are, and they, they're they're pretty afraid of them. And they associate people with hunters who yep. – it's it's a threat. And I, I totally agree with you. And I think that's why a lot of these uh, – yeah, in like – places like a California or northern Canada where either you can't hunt or there's just not a lot of people bears probably get into a little bit more trouble because they do. there's they don't see people as a threat there's yep. no inherent danger there yep that's that's for sure yeah that was a cool story old clay he that was pretty neat dude. yeah I, I love that that was that was cool it was cool of him to, to share that with everybody that was yeah. that was really he's neat doing to see. some awesome stuff on his YouTube channel man he's for a guy that just kind of never really grew up with that background to i mean it's i don't know how people do that that digital um editing and how they create film it's just remarkable to me to see what they come up with and jason's a prime example and i've been with him on a few times when he's been filming and doing and i'm just like i don't know how you even think to do that you know and it's it's pretty remarkable clay's doing an awesome job he's a great voice for um our sport and, and and what we're trying to do so it's great to be partnered with them and with our membership you actually get a magazine to bear you get a bear hunting magazine subscription nice so yeah Very that cool. comes with it so yeah the, the, it's a great 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 piece and he's doing a good job so speaking of decreasing bad interactions with bears what are some things people can do when they're out in in the you know the woods to decrease um i guess bad interactions for lack of a yeah, better term and it's it's become more of a prevalent issue with the grizzly bears, and mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm learning to tell people this in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming now. Where if you think you can go out in the woods, and you live in Southwest Montana or Northwest, if you're hunting anywhere in the Rockies, basically nowadays, and you think you're never going to see a grizzly bear, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, you're in bear country every you're, day. You step out from now on. You got to think about that. Yeah, they, they've. They've got bears leaving the greater Yellowstone that are almost pushed into the northern continental divide ecosystem. So that land bridge that the anti-delist people wanted is a real thing. It, it is happening, and there's bears everywhere. And, 
you know, with black bears are one thing, they'll tend to run when they see you or even smell you. Um, and I think just being cognizant of where you're at and looking at sign and understanding kind of bear behavior. Um, there's a running joke that if a black bear attacks you, it wants to eat you. And if a grizzly <laughs> bear attacks you, it's just doing it because you, it's, it's mad at you or it wants to protect its young or your bite's food. Right. A lot of grizzly bear attacks. I, I won't say a lot. I'll, there's a few grizzly bear attacks where people have been consumed. and um, But a lot of them more so are um, defensive attacks because you walked on a cell with some cubs or a boar eating on a carcass a lot of black bear attacks end in fatalities. Um, and you'll see this more out on the East Coast on where there's a lot of bears and people don't understand and they're living in and amongst the urban sprawl. Yeah. Um, we don't hear of a lot of black bear attacks out West because they are hunted. But if you go out into grizzly bear country, y- you've got to be very aware of your surroundings. you got to know where you're going. And I advocate for bear spray. I carry it. I'm not against carrying a pistol as long as you know how to use it. Um, I carry both. I don't know why. Um, I've had interactions with them um, where it's been close calls, and I've always grabbed at that time my rifle because I've had been rifle hunting. Um, I've had places where I've had my bear spray unholstered, and I knew and I seen them, but no, nothing in badly. So I, I'm for whatever makes you feel safe, but know what you're doing when you're out there. Like yeah. if you're going to carry a pistol, make sure you know how to shoot your pistol. If you're going to carry bear spray, make sure it's not expired for one thing, because <laughs> that's a <laughs> that, pretty that'd common be a bad deal. day. Yeah. You, you don't want to have that one chance to save your life. And it's because you got a, you were too cheap to get a $40 can of bear spray. So I, I always tell people, you know, if you're not real proficient with the firearm, get some bear spray yeah. and just understand where it's at on your body. Don't put it in your pack. Because that ain't going to save your life. Right. You know, and when you're hiking, tra- if you're just out hiking and you are not hunting, there's no reason you can't be talking and making noise or every once in a while just kind of alerting your presence around you, especially if you're in heavy grizzly territory. Because bears use trails. They're lazy by design. They'll walk on a trail before they walk around a trail. Yeah. They'll, they're like people. They take the path of least resistance. So oftentimes they're on trails like we are. And so knowing that. And if you're camping or doing anything outdoors, um, it's about food storage. Um, Wyoming's really strict. Montana's getting there where it's a large fine if you're not storing your food properly. Yeah. And like I said before, they can smell two miles away. So that roll of toothpaste you got in your sleeping bag um, while you're backcountry elk hunting in the bob, that's an attractant. Yep. And all you're yeah. doing is asking for a problem. Now, you might go in there 50 times, um, and uh, 48 of those times never even see a bear. And you leave your toothpaste that one time, and you're going to have a problem. So don't give it or don't – you could do all the right things, and you still might have interactions with them, but you've got to set yourself up in those situations to, to save your life. Yep. Because we're not talking about spraining your ankle here. If one of these things get a hold of you, there's a very good chance you're not going to live to see it unless you're like Todd Orr who just can take multiple attacks and that story, man. just grind it out. I don't know. I I still I still can't believe that story. That is just – It's I, insane. For those of you who don't know who Todd Orr is, um, he was – it was a grizzly? Grizzly, yeah. It was yep. a grizzly. So he was attacked by a grizzly, and he admits that it was just a fluke thing, like came around a corner yep. and, and – got too close by accident and 
And cool thing about Todd, just real quick, is whenever I've heard him talk, he never has hated on bears. He's nope. he's not one of those people that says, like, yeah, I was attacked by a bear. We need to kill all bears. He he acknowledges that the bear is just doing what bears do. And that's grizzly bears do that. Protect yeah. their young and yeah. And and then so he attacked once, is hiking out, and the same bear circles back and attacked him again, and he lived to yeah. to tell the tale. And yeah, and yeah. Todd Orr had bear spray, and and. He, I tell you what, he's not some slouch out in the woods. No. He's a very proficient outdoorsman. I would yep. put him up against anyone. He's killed like 20-something bulls with a pistol. You know, he's he's very good in the outdoors and, you know, had bear spray, did all the right things. But it, he, that's where I think Todd knows going into it that it could happen and what to do if it does happen. And, you know, he was probably a bite or two away from not surviving that. Yeah. You know, he got pretty lucky. And I think pretty he would close. even say that he was, he was close. And some people have not had that same – Look, the worst thing in the world, I think, would be to be mauled and not killed instantly by one. And I think laying there knowing. That's coming back. It's either coming back or you can't get out of there. Yeah. You know, and, and I am a, I hunt a lot by myself. I, I like, I'm kind of, a, I like quiet time in my own time and I go a lot by myself. Um, I love hunting with my friends and stuff too, but there are times when I've moved to Cody and didn't know a lot of people and. I like to hunt, so I would go yeah. by myself. And I'm the and same I'm, way. Yeah, and yeah. I've stubborn too. You know, my wife's <laughs> like, "You're not. You don't need." To, I'm like, "I'm fine." You know, and then our you, wife should not talk. Yeah, no, and then you get out bad. there, and you're like, "What am I doing out here? This is so dumb." I'm gonna, <laughs> but uh, I've learned to, and, and and I, like I said, I've always loved hunting with my friends, and now I I basically won't go in grizzly country on a solo hunt anymore. Yeah. Um, and for several reasons, it's not because I'm afraid. It's I I know that if something happens, you have a better chance of survival if there's another person there, yeah. whether you need to help out or there's two people on the trail because there's two eyes. You know, I, I don't know how many times I've been leading a march and not paying attention, and the guy behind me is like, whoa, 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 and it might not be a bear, but it's something else. That could have been a bear, yeah. you know. And so you got more eyes, you got more senses out there, and your survival rate's a lot higher. And uh, we're talking like it's doom and gloom out there. It's not, but no. – it's a reality that we have to face. And funny thing, a buddy told me a long time ago, he says, don't be afraid, be aware. Yeah. When I first started hunting in grizzly country, don't be afraid, be aware. Well, it's hard for people that aren't used to, you know, I grew up in southwest Montana. I never had to worry about anything trying to kill me when I was out there. Go down to Cody, Wyoming, and it's like, whoa. And that's a real issue down there. I mean, if you're not seeing them, there's something wrong when you're out hunting. I mean, right. they're there. Yeah. And he said, you got to just learn to not be afraid, but be aware. And, and that's always kind of been my mantra is like, you got to go and you're going to go. And some of the best experiences of your life will be hunting in those areas, but you got to always know. And, and I've backpack hunted in grizzly areas and stuff and never had a problem, but I hang my food. I mean, I have bear fence now that I use. Um, and so I'm just cognizant of it and, and that's what you got to do, but it takes time yep. to kind of get that, where you're comfortable enough to do more. And then once you get comfortable, the most important thing is not to get complacent. Yep. Cause yeah. And I think, and this is coming from someone that has only gone out bear hunting a couple of times, but just from other life experiences, two things that make the biggest difference in being prepared are one, having a system that you do every single time. Yep. So I always put my bear sprites in the exact same spot every single time. I, I've practiced over and over again, pulling it out and, and just gone through that. So that I don't even have to think about 
where's my bear spray? What am I going to do? It's just, it's going to be in the same spot every single time. It's second nature. Um, and then the other thing too, is running those scenarios in your head of what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Cause I think where, what I've, as I've researched and, and looked at these different encounters where things have gone sideways, the thing that always seems to happen is that there's some element of like indecision or, or not acting quick enough and, did you listen to the Ranella podcast where they had the bear oh, charging? Oh, Sam the and uh, the dude from First Light. Uh, yeah. 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 That it, was crazy. That was very crazy. That's a good podcast you guys should go listen to. I think it's called The Meat Tree. But one, one of the things he talks about was they all, they they didn't have a system, and then they all kind of hesitated because yep. it was like, is this really happening? And he, he just talked about how have a system and be prepared with with a game plan in mind. Obviously, that's not going to work every single time, but I think if you do those two things, and, man, the other thing, too, is people are just so dumb around animals. I was, I was in Glacier um, last summer, and we were hiking up to, do you know where Avalanche Lake is? I know where it's at. I've never been to it. But yeah, yeah, beautiful. But it's in a, it's in a pretty, um, like, urban part of the park. Like, it's pretty well developed. And we were walking – we're walking back down the trail and all of a sudden this ranger goes busting up past us. And, uh, I was like, okay, he had a shotgun. That's not a good sign. (laughs) So we kind of stopped and hung out for a little bit. And then like we continued on. And when we got down, we ran into a, a family member coming up the trail towards us. Um, and he said, yeah, there was a mom with two babies across the trail. I was like, okay, well it's glacier. Like that happens. And he's like, yeah, the babies treed because people like ran up to the babies and started taking pictures of the baby, Ugh. and and he actually um, he's a pretty solid dude, pretty squared away with things like this. He started grabbing people and like pushing them back yeah. down the trail, and um, it's just so close to something bad happening if you're yep. not if you're not just using some common sense about these are wild animals with wild instincts, and you can't. You can't think, oh, like, I see a grizzly bear over there. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get a little closer to take some pictures. Yep. That's that's just asking for bad things to happen. Well, their closing speed is remarkable. Yeah. I mean, they, they say most attacks happen within five seconds. <laughs> so you got to be able to act within five seconds. So to your point, you better be running scenarios through your head at all times when you're out there. Like, what am I going to do? Where's my – okay. And when you get to a blind hill – you know, be thinking about it. Don't march aimlessly. And that's another thing, you know, talking about what society's done about bears, you know, they've made them into these cute, cuddly things. And we get these people that come to all our national parks where there's grizzly bears, Yellowstone or Glacier, and they think, oh, I can go pet them, you know, and and you sure can. And the states are spending a ton of money on outreach and education. And we're trying to, and this this is a huge topic when a lot of the meetings in the back conversations is, how do we educate and outreach more? Yeah. You know, like I'm beat to death with signs like grizzly. And it's like, it's, I see them, but they're like, they're not, people just are not getting it. And yeah. it's crazy to me. If you're going to come out here and hunt or recreate, I mean, I don't care where you go anymore. You better be pretty prepared. Yeah. And I like that you say prepared. You don't need to be scared. You don't need to be, I mean, I, I've only actually in all my time, deer and elk hunting out here in montana i've never had an encounter with a bear that's not saying that it couldn't happen because it definitely could and it probably will at some point eventually I'm gonna, you're gonna have an encounter with a black yeah. or grizzly bear yeah 
but it's just being prepared so that you can relax and enjoy the experience um, versus being unprepared and something bad happening. So, yeah. Yeah. You, so, you got to. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I, I don't think we can. Yeah, we can't say it enough. Just be prepared, and yeah. you'll be you'll be okay. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I uh, I laugh. Uh, we live in a huge tourist market, and the people that come into there that have no clue what is even out here is it's remarkable to me. Yeah. You know, and we don't need bears getting into problems because at the end of the day, the way we look at it, you know, and this goes back to those people that are like, "Oh, kill all the grizzlies." I'm like, "Ah, great, but we'll never be able to hunt them if we kill them all." Yeah. So every bear that's on the landscape is another opportunity for one day having a hunting season. And that's where we're at now with the grizzly season. Yeah. You know, it's like done enough work to that there's enough bears out there. And, and anytime a bear gets in trouble through food rewards or, or uh, human bear conflict, there's a good chance that bear's not going to be staying on the landscape. And that's one less for sportsmen to enjoy. And, and, and that's a loss. It, it's a loss. Yeah. And, We've done a ton of work on the backside, and it's not a hunting-related thing, but it's it's a uh, it's mitigating conflict. You know, we put in bear boxes, we give out bear spray every year. Um, we do a lot of PSAs, we do a lot of educational seminars for kids and for hunters and stuff on how do you go and be out in the bear woods and be safe. Because why we do that, we want to save lives, but we want to save bears' lives too, because yeah. there's more bears for us to enjoy. Whether you're a photographer or a hunter like me that wants to go out and harvest them or like with this grizzly bear issue you know you can't be killing these things all the time we'll never get them delisted well now we finally got them delisted we might have a season so it's 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 getting there but yeah there's a lot of work that needs to go into it all so if people want to get involved with bear conservation where where should they start well you gotta stay active and, and i would say if you're really passionate about it and you want to start being passionate about it, you got to just involve yourself with the process, I would say. Like, understanding what's going on in your state, and, and we're talking to a broad audience here, so understanding what's going on in your state with regulations and this and that and the other, and then what's happening in your area. And then, you know, getting involved with a group like ours, whether it's calling me up and saying, hey, Joe, um, and you'll notice on all our stuff, it's my personal phone number. We don't have an office. You're calling me when you call western bear foundation and you call me and i filled all the calls and hey i i want to do some more work in in montana i want to try and get this going and then we start the ball rolling we get working on it we start talking with biologists and, and game and fish people and we figure out what we can do but it's never thinking that you're going to do it one day you'll never do it you just got to start making those phone calls and reaching out to people and, and being interactive and and i would say a big part is is Meeting with the people that make the decisions and, and really getting out there and talking to the biologists, talking to the game wardens, and just saying, hey, I want to do more. What can I do? Yeah. You know, I want to, And if you're having trouble breaking through to that, give us a call, and we can help you out for sure. And we're doing stuff everywhere, and we need people on the ground that want to do things because we're running out of things that we can do because bears, you know, you don't have a lot of projects for bears. You know, they just kind of do their own thing, but we want to do stuff. So we're always looking for ideas of things that might move the needle. So if you do have good ideas or you want to see something done, give us a call, you know. Sweet. Yeah. I love it. Well, this was fun, man. It was awesome. I appreciate it. Yeah, I got, thank you. I got three questions for you before we close. Fire them off. Okay, awesome. What is something uh, right now that you, that you want to learn more about, something in your life that mm. you just – you're really curious about you want to learn more about god that's a good question i would say for me i want to learn more about hmm 
That's a good question. I, I would say it would have to do with um, black bears and grizzly bears and how they interact. I want to learn more about that uh, in, in the lower 48 states. Uh, it drives me crazy. We're not in Alaska. Everyone says, well, they, they do fine in Alaska. Well, we're not there. Right. You know, what's happening to our black bears because of the influx of an apex predator of the grizzly bear? So that's one thing that I'd really love to learn more about. And I'm always trying to trying to continue my education when it comes to conservation and biology and understanding a lot more about that. Um, uh, and then maybe my wife, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, we're not, I'm not even going to touch, I'm not going to touch that one. Uh, what's, what's the thing you're most excited about right now? Um, uh, today, if you, if you'd asked me this question a month ago, it'd be different, but today I'm most excited about Wyoming potentially having a grizzly bear hunting season this fall. That is exciting. I mean, I'm, I haven't stopped thinking about it since yesterday. I kind of knew the regs were coming out. Um, couldn't post anything or do anything about it, and it, it came out yesterday. Um, there's a great opportunity, and, and, you know, the chances of drawing a tag are going to be slim to none, but we did it. Potentially could say we did it, and yeah. we got these things delisted right, and it's science-based conservation that did it, and hunters and sportsmen are a big part of that, you know, and um, the fact that we could potentially have a grizzly hunt in the lower 48 again is probably – going to be the most exciting thing for me until it happens and i don't think i don't think people realize how big of a victory that is for wildlife it's, conservation i i i, I don't, i'm not seeing enough i'm not seeing enough no, about that because it's huge it is it is so remarkably big um and, and some backstory a good friend of mine works with um the gaming fish in wyoming and, and he's a large carnivore guy and 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 i texted him yesterday and i just told him i said do you do you know like you are going to be a part you're a part of something right now that is bigger than most people can even understand and he's like i really appreciate it. i go i'm proud to say that i know you and i'm thankful for what you and the guys that have done their whole career to do this there's guys that have did uh, 30 years worth of work their whole career to delist these things and they've retired and still didn't get it done so there's people for generations that have tried to do this since 1970s that did it, and I told I told him I was just like I I I know I want you to know that I know how huge this is. I was like it's it's bigger than monumental. Whatever we could say, that's what it is. It's it's giant for conservation, for recovery of a species that was on the brink. I mean, it was done, and yeah. we're back to populations that are now sustainable and and for the foreseeable future. And so that to me, and I, I would, lo I love that you said that because I don't think enough people really understand where we're at right now. And granted, Montana's not doing a season and I really don't think Idaho will because of their low quota. It doesn't matter. We've delisted them. And if Wyoming goes forward with it and can get through this, uh, it's, it's huge. Yeah. It's a bit, one of the biggest success, success stories in wildlife conservation ever. Yeah. And to have a, uh, the ability to have a hunting season, it, it just, it reaffirms that this animal is back. It does. Which is huge. And yep. that's that's what we want. We want all of our, our wildlife to be sustained and healthy on the landscape. And I, I got to have a disclaimer in there for our group because there's a lot of people think that we want the grizzly bears eradicated. And we're totally opposite of that. <laughs> I want that thing. I want a grizzly hunting season in all three states for a long time yep. because I want to hunt them. Yep. And, and I'm selfish. I, we by no means want them eradicated. We want them out there. We want seasons. I mean, we want them for a long time. So, yeah, that's that's one thing that's always kind of a misconception with us. Yeah. All right, final question. Um, have you seen the movie Jeremiah Johnson? It is easily top 
one to three for me. Okay. Yeah. So you know the scene where he finds the guy frozen in the snow oh, yeah. with the rifle? Yeah. Uh, if you were that guy, you're lying there, just attacked by a bear, shot the bear, and you've got one message to leave behind for the world. What message are you leaving behind? <laughs> oh, that is such a good question, dude. I never would have guessed. That is a great scene in that movie, too. Here's my hawk in 50 cal. It's a phenomenal scene. Uh, have you, real quick, while you're thinking, have you seen Will Primos re- reenact that? I haven't. So I I watch uh, the, the Truth About Hunting with the Primos guys every once in a while, and every once in a while he'll reenact that scene just, like, hamming it up. Oh, like, really? out in the middle of nowhere, and it's pretty funny. Um, but, yeah, anyway, sorry. Yeah. Back to your... <laughs> you know what... And and you have to really know me to understand this, so it could be kind of inside. But whenever I see that scene, and if I, <laughs> I don't even know if I would have been profound enough to leave a message to the future generations or to the person that found me, because I am like the always cold. Okay. So I'm always <laughs> cold, and my friends <laughs> torment me. My feet are always cold. I'm always cold, and I mean, we get into hunting situations, and I'm just like shivering and whenever i see that scene i'm like all i would be thinking about is how cold i am (laughs) and i think i'd have probably just put something like this sucks i'm freezing cold (laughs) never mind i got mauled by a bear i'm like so cold right here i don't know i don't know that's a good thing that's yeah it'd be hard to be it'd be hard to be smart enough to give knowledge to someone in a situation where you're freezing to death and bleeding out yeah but uh especially back in the 1800s um I'd have probably just wrote a note because I'm a, I'm a smart mouth. I'd have probably just did something like I'm freezing or don't let the bears bite or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Watch out for the bears. Yeah, not that profound. I'm sorry. No, that's cool. No, I appreciate it. Hey, and just as we wrap up, I want to recognize you for all the conservation work oh, that you're doing you and, and all the good that you're, you know, bringing to the world because thank you. people, I mean, bears are amazing. They, they are. They're, they're a part of our society whether you live in a city in the east or you live out here in Montana or, or Wyoming. And the fact that you're on your own dime and on your own time conserving and working to protect yep. something that's so important to the American people, that's that's yeah. awesome. Well, I just I want to recognize it. you for Thank you very for much. That. Yeah. Yep. Anything you want to leave with us before we end? No. Um, got a couple of cool things coming up, fundraising. We've got a really awesome raffle. We'll be releasing pretty quick, and you can follow us on social media. We've got a new website out. So uh, a lot of cool things coming from us. Um, we're going to be looking at doing something maybe in Montana this year with some bear spray, some bear spray again in Wyoming, and trying to get some things done in Idaho with uh, some bear spray giveaways and always looking for projects and ideas um, and looking for people that want to be uh, aligned with us on the ground and, and doing work for bears. So. Awesome. Yep. And if you guys want to connect with Western Bear or reach out to Joe, all of the contact information, social media stuff will be in the show notes. And Joe, I think that's a wrap. Thanks, awesome. man. Appreciate Thank you. Thank you so much yeah, for having me, That was buddy. fun. All right, friends. Another podcast is in the books. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. The music for this episode was Until the End by Pansky. You can find more great music from our buddy Pansky by following the links in the show notes. For more great content, connect with Urban to Country on social media or on our website, urbantocountry.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave us a review. Your feedback helps us as we develop content for future episodes. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, make life epic.